So Patty, uh, our interview today with Kristen was I just incredible. I don't really know any other word to say for it. I, I like I, if you're in our industry, you need to listen to this you one. If you're thinking about getting this. into our industry, if you're thinking about monetizing payments, if you're thinking about growing your ISO, like this is kind of your guide to like how the industry really works. And it's really, it really is a how-to. And I would, you know, I think we should explain to people which this episode's a little bit longer yes. than some of our episodes. Yes. But really be patient and stick with it because Kristen has some incredible um, insights on the industry. James and I combined, what do we have, about 60 or 70 years in the industry, right? right. And she blew us both out. I mean, we both came away going, Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, she, <laughs> you know, so. she and, and she was so good at explaining it. So if you want to know what a payfac is, if you want to know what's the difference between a wholesale ISO and a retail ISO, if you want to know what a full service provider is, if you want to know what a sponsor bank and an acquiring bank, like if you want to know how to what it means to clear transactions, like all if of you want to know whether or not you should set up a payfac, become yeah, a payfac. Should you become a payfac? Right, exactly. So all these questions and many more uh, we answered today. And then um, I really switched gears hard going into the questions in the field because I wanted to talk, have something in our episode for the salesperson who maybe isn't as interested in the details of the, of the inner workings of the industry, although they probably should be. But we talk about um, becoming an expert in sales. And we talk about kind of how to focus and the keys to right. really being successful as a sales agent today and, and growing towards the future. And then I was actually really blown away by your insider's report today as well, Patty, very surprised yeah, by a, that. So tell us about that a little bit. Yeah, it's about fraud on P2P networks. And in, yeah. in particular, the Zelle network, which is owned by the largest banks in the country. Um, you know, it, it really, it, it was, when I saw it, I was pretty stunned. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, I think you'll find this quite interesting. So uh, our episode today is brought to you by NMI.com, NMI, NMI. Um, and I'm ready to get going if you are, James. All right, let's start our interview with Kristen. Welcome to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Hey, everybody. Patty and I are here today with Krista McWilliams. She is a full board member at the Midwestern Acquirers Association, among doing many, many other things. How are you doing today, Kristen? I'm doing great. Thank you for having me today. Absolutely. Great to have you. So uh, today, I think, is going to be one of our most interesting conversations we've had on the podcast because... Uh, you know, poor Kristen here. I've literally sent her every complicated question in the industry, basically, <laughs> and asked her to answer them. So we're going to really dive in. I get so many questions from consulting clients, ISOs, it's, you know, agents even of what does it look like to grow an organization in this business? You know, what is a payback? What is a wholesale ISO? What's an FSP? Like all these kind of what it, what are these things type of questions. And Today, we're not going to be able to answer all of those, but we're going to dive into the big ones and, and try to answer a lot of those questions. But before we do that, Kristen, your first time interview on this podcast, um, give us your story. How did you get into the payments industry and talk a little bit about what you do today? So I started back in 98 with uh, First Data, and I was actually there, I was there about uh, 16 years. So when I started, uh, our only clients were FSPs. Uh, they were banks, uh, credit union associations, right. things of that nature. There, mm -hmm. there were no um, ISO programs. Uh, there was an agent program. but um, And I think I was like the fourth person to get tapped to work on a brand new turnkey acquiring solution that one of our VPs thought of uh, that turned into our ISO program. Wow. So amazing. we really built that. I mean, we didn't have a way to board merchants. We had to convince 
risk in underwriting that we weren't out to take over the world <laughs> in a nefarious way. Right. Uh, it, it was really interesting trying to get uh, resources. Uh, so we did that. And um, after that, I, I dabbled briefly in high risk because that was an area I had no knowledge in. I uh, went to work for a wholesale ISO that was a former client, um, worked for Payfac, uh, where we ended up doing a processor change in the middle of that. So that was good to see that whole process from start to finish. And um, most recently was in uh, kind of alternative payment methods and digital wallets, which was also a new area for me. So that was really interesting to learn. So you've been all around the industry of being pretty yeah. much. Yeah. Yep. In the, from, from merchant facing to having banks as clients. So yeah. it's Excellent. been a unique perspective for me. Very unique perspective. I think that makes you really well um, suited to, to these questions that James yeah. and I have put together. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I feel like this list, I've had this list of questions for a long time. I just haven't found the right guest to answer them all. So um, we'll, we'll see how you do today, Kristen. So I'm just going to fire them at you here. All right. So here we go. Um, first question, I think probably the easiest one, but the one I get asked a lot, especially by the agent in the small ISO, what is, you know, people say, I want to become an ISO and it's like, well, that's actually not enough information. So tell us what is the difference between a, you know, you have the register concept of the registered ISO, you have the retail concept, the retail ISO, you have the wholesale ISO. What is, give us a breakdown of like what these things actually are, what it means to kind of be an ISO in these different levels. So, you know, there was really kind of a, you consider a hierarchy in my mind where you start out, you know, there's an agent level, there's a retail ISO level, there's a wholesale ISO level, and then an FSP level. And then the PayFAC is not really part of that hierarchy. Right. It's, it's kind of over here by itself. It's a whole different kind of beast. So the main difference between what I would say a retail and a wholesale ISO is, is who's doing the underwriting, who's managing the risk, who has the financial liability. And then there is a perception most of the time on who owns the paper. So who owns that merchant account? I think a lot of people, so in a retail environment, uh, none of those things apply to a retail ISO. They're, they're, it's, it's generally a liability-free deal. Uh, you know, they're just out. It's a true sales organization. They're out signing up merchants. Right. They're out gathering paper for underwriting. They submit it. It gets decisioned. It's kind of out of their hands. Um, the wholesale, they're, they have to work within the same credit policy as a retail, even though there's a perception that they may have a different credit policy. It's the same. It's a bank policy. Um, but they do get to do the underwriting, the risk monitoring. They also hold all the liability on their portfolio. And depending on how the contract is written, right, everything's negotiable. Right. They may or may not own that merchant account at the end of the day. And what that means is if they leave that processor or terminate or, or something, that they can take their merchants with them without penalty. Right. I, th so I think I think portability has actually become like really, really, really rare. I actually have hardly, you know, I mean, you have to be a pretty big shop <clears throat> to negotiate portability, even as a wholesale ISO, at least at least in my experience. I don't know what you've seen, Kristen. I, I've seen it literally in two contracts. Yeah, that's that's in, what I've in 20 some odd years. Yeah. So yeah. I, I think it's a, it was uh, for a long time. It was just a perception that people thought that because they were a wholesale that they have portability, even though that's not really what the don't. Contract. 
so Kristen, talk a little bit about uh, registration of, of the ISO as well. You know, is, is that part of what you would consider being a retail ISO is that you're, you're registered with the card brands as well, I would assume. Like, what are your thoughts on the registration? That's gotten a little bit murky because some, you know, some of the large processors or super ISOs are saying, well, you can do a DBA registration through us. Right. And so, so talk about registration a little bit as well, if you would. So the, the main um, advantage of registration is to be able to market under your own name. Right. Right. And grow your brand. Um, and that was, and honestly, the registration costs for wholesale, retail, and even payback, it's the same nowadays. It used to be, uh, okay. there was experience. Yeah. It's, it's really the same now. Um, so uh, the registration of the DBA is a little murky. I, I personally, because that, like, let's say NAB, I think NAB does it, yeah, right? They have white label, yeah. And um, so they register that DBA under them, right? So that you can market under under your name and all that. I'm not an attorney. I don't really know what kind of rights that gives them to your name. Let's say the relationship goes south, right? Um, so yes, you can market under your name, but you've kind of lost control of your brand at the same time. Right. You, you basically, you better make sure that you are very much long-term committed to the company that you register your DBA under because you just registered your DBA under right. theirs. Like your, right. your company is now a DBA of their company. And so and, like you and said, everything is, is negotiable, but like that's a pretty big it, decision. Yeah. And it is at a DBA registrations at a state level. So, you know, that I, I would definitely. Yeah, that could be. Yeah. I see what you're saying. Yeah. Cause it could yeah, yeah. I, what, where where I see it working pretty well, I see, and there's like three companies that are pretty big that do it now. And where I see it being successful is like the individual agent who is going to hire a staff. You know, they're going to have an assistant, and somebody's calling to do lead generation, and that's about as much as they're trying to grow. They're really comfortable with this big company they're with, but they really do want to build a local brand. So the brand itself isn't going to be like massively valuable. It just it's almost more of an extension of their personal brand. So, you know, but they don't sure. want to spend yeah. twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars on attorney fees and registration costs and all that. So then they'll register DBA. But yeah, I think if you're really serious about your brand, you know, you probably want to keep it. <laughs> it would be an idea, you know? Yeah. 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 I, I definitely would, you know, but unless uh, it's. Yeah, I mean, things happen, right? Relationships yeah. change. So, right, right. OK, so let's get back on track again, because we need to now maybe make uh, the distinction between a, high, a wholesale ISO and a payfax. You you mentioned how the payfax kind of over here while the ISOs are over here. Can mm -hmm. you explain what's in that chasm? <laughs> what makes them so different? Yeah, so, you know, a wholesale ISO is, is like a grown-up um, retail, right, That that's taken all of, all of that in-house, right, the risk right. and all that. So the main difference between a wholesale ISO and a payfax is obviously speed to boarding, technology, funding and reconciliation, statementing, and a lot of other things. So what people probably don't know is that the, the, mo the payback model is issued a master mid, right? So they have this one mid. Okay. And then all the merchants that are underneath that are submits. Okay. Okay. So at the end of the day, at the end of every day, the processor will settle a lump sum to that master mid, net out processor fees, 
you know, interchange, dues and assessments, kilowatt, whatever fees the car brands have going on that day. Um, so they get this lump sum settlement. Now the payback has to reconcile all that and fund the merchants. Okay. Yeah. Big difference. And, and the, the, the processors don't really give the payfacts tools to do that, right? That's the payback as a service. And right. that's why they exist. But a true payback has to build all of this out. So they need a internal tool dashboard. They need mm -hmm. a client facing tool so the merchants can reconcile. They need, you know, they have to build all that out. All those things that, you know, as an ISO, you would take to granted take it for granted that your your processor is going to provide a payback has to build all of that yeah, yeah. and you, you think that's the tech stack that they always refer to right that's their big right. tech stack right sure sure and you, they generally will also have a gateway where they're directing all of that traffic as well so that right. they can right. help to manage that do you think that's going to change significantly over the next 24 months, 36 months, Kristen, as in other words, do you see companies already? I, I, there's some companies that are providing the infrastructure to say, like, we'll help you become a payback and give you the tech. And so I guess my question is, when we look at the difference between a wholesale ISO and a payback, 36 months from now, if I'm a retail ISO and I'm like, I want to become, I want to go to the next step. I guess my big question is in 36 months, why would someone choose to become a wholesale ISO versus choosing to become a payfac, assuming that becoming a payfac means you have to pay for tech? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, is is the difference going to get get narrow enough to where it's like there's less of a barrier there where it's like, why would I become a wholesale ISO and still have the friction of this like legacy system versus becoming a payfac and doing whatever I want? I, I'm just kind of curious your thoughts on how this is going to like evolve in that way. Well, payfac doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. Right. So I think there was a perception for a long time that Payfax could do high risk and they could do this and they could do that. Nope. They're still bound by the same credit policy as any retailer wholesale ISO. Um, it's it's really determined point. by the bank. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, those days, the wild, wild west of the Payfax are over. <laughs> and they and all those guys got shut down a, a, a couple of years ago, really. Um, the Payfax as a service. And there are companies that that will partner, basically say, okay, you can use this as payback as a service, and we've already built all this other stuff out. Mm. And then there's others that are like, we'll partner with you as far as being a technology partner and right. help you know build you up to speed. My question is always to to anybody thinking about becoming a payback is, what are they trying to solve for? Right. Um, and, and you and usually it's instant or nearly instant onboarding or or some version of friction in the onboarding you process. Can, you can do that with a wholesale ISO. You know, there's there's um, and especially with certain processors, you can go real time live. There's there's no reason you can't. Um, you might delay funding for a day or two, and you'd want to do that anyway while you complete right. your underwriting. Right. Um, but what a payback does, like the whole really what the best example I can always find of where a payback makes perfect sense is into it, right? Like QuickBooks, right? Everybody knows QuickBooks. Yep. So you get this, uh, I'm a, I'm a small merchant. I, or, you know, I'm a, just a business. I get QuickBooks in to do my accounting of flash, you know, like a hosted 
page will pop up and say, Hey, do you want to accept credit cards? And I say, yeah, let's do that. I enter like 12 pieces of information. Boom. I'm live. It makes perfect sense for them. They have a, you have to have a reason to be a payback. You either have a piece of software or you have a POS system, or you have a plug for your gateway. You have to be solving for something, right? right. Like just randomly becoming a payback, like to integrate a bunch of terminals would be insanity. Oh, right. Cause now you're going right? to have to, you have to get certified for each of these terminals that you want to right offer. exactly that's a really yeah because yeah. you're you're going to get an api right this is all right, api right. driven right. and unless like it makes sense if you have your own gateway then then it makes sense again because then you can integrate things into your gateway mm -hmm. your gateway certified with and and the certification for a payfat versus other channels is different you know, with the processors as well. Not all products are available through mm -hmm. their PayFax certification channels. You know, they're they're all kind of catching up. I mean, in reality, five years ago, there was literally one processor that had a decent PayFax channel. Right. And now everybody's kind of piecing theirs together. Yeah. And and it's it's a bit of a clunk. It's super clunky. Yeah, it is. Yeah. yeah. So. You know, unless you're trying to solve for something like that, I don't know that it makes sense to pony up, you know, a half a million dollars in two years of your time to build out your tech stack. Okay. So let's, let's get one more set of definitions I wanted to make sure we get everybody clear on is the role of the acquiring bank, the sponsor bank, you know, what role do these play in the payback model? Same role they always pay, right? Like at the end of the day, you've got to have a member to clear your transactions. Right. Same, same. So with that's all it is. I mean, it's just basically a name that they get to put at the bottom of the, of the website. <laughs> it's that, well, but the, you know, but the bank is taking, you know, ultimately the bank takes the liability, right? But then it right. all flows downhill. But it so. all, yeah, exactly. It all trickles down. So yeah. yeah. Give yeah. us a give us so, a little give us a little more context there. You know, Christian, for those that are again, maybe somebody's got a, a retail ISO, they've got, you know, 30 salespeople. They've never done anything. They don't know how any of this works. Like they just, you know, they got registered because they want to promote their brand and all they know is sales, but they're thinking, I want to become either a wholesale ISO or maybe I've got some software and I want to do a payfac. You know, for that person, when you talk about, you know, the, the sponsor bank, the acquiring bank, like talk to us about a transaction. Like, how does that work? You say clearing the transaction. What does that mean? Like, give us a little more context, if you would, on that. Like, how does that work? Why, why yeah. do you need, why do you need the bank? I guess is what, what I'm, the question I'm asking. Yeah. Well, for well, Visa, they have to be a member of Visa MasterCard, right? right. They can't just be any bank. They right. have to be a member. Um, and that's how, you know, they have to, that's how a MID is generated, basically. I mean, that's that's right. the very lowest level there. You can't get a MID without a bank. Without a bank, period. Right. right. So at the end of the day, you're issued a MID, you get a MID, you know, the merchant takes the transaction, it goes to your processor, it gets routed out through Visa and MasterCard, you know, for settlement. That's all done at the bank level or the Ben and Ica level, or, you know, however you want to think about that many, right. you know, banks have many bins and many ICAs and um, they can either do it directly or they can, you know, go through the fed. 
uh, this is however their settlement is routed, but that the bank or the member has is the only one that can hold merchant money. Right. Right. Is there any no difference? You know, I've heard these terms used somewhat interchangeably over the years. Is there a difference between a sponsor bank and an acquiring bank? I mean, that's the same bank, right? I mean, I, that's what I've always thought, but I wanted to make sure that that was correct. Like, so, so when I say, yeah, so, so in other words, I, I need a bank to clear the transactions and move the money. And that's going to be, mm -hmm. I can call it the sponsor bank. I can call it the acquiring bank. And it, it's, it's the bank that's going to move the money for the merchant account. Right. Yeah. The only one that's allowed to. Right. Okay. Got it. Really good. Okay. So now let's unpack one other term that gets, I think, overused a bit. And that is the, and it sounds like such a big word. It's the full service provider, FSP. It's like, oh, wow, we're the full service provider. What does that mean? Give us a little context of that one. Uh, so that means they, they either are or have their own acquiring bank. They go to FIS, Fiserv, whoever, global and just buy processing services. That's it. That's all they're buying. They don't need their back office. They don't need under it. You know, that's it. They're buying services. So uh, they could be a bank, a, an association of banks, uh, credit unions, or they could be like a super ISO, right? That has their own relationship with a bank and they both come to the party, right? Like, so uh, it could be I don't know, Wells Fargo. And right. I'm a super ISO and I have a relationship with Wells Fargo, but I'm going to leave this processor because of price, whatever concerns I have. And I'm going to move to this other price of uh, this other processor. I'm going to bring my bank with me. And all three of us are going to sign an agreement. Basically like a really complex, horrible tri-party agreement, but it, it's great for the FSP because they're just uh, literally buying services. Right. They have a relationship with their bank and that's their business. And it, and the processor wants no piece of that. Right. They're not on the paper anywhere. They're not dictating any kind of, uh, you know, guidelines or practices or anything else. They are just there to provide services. Okay. Yep. Good. Very good. Okay. So we have these core definitions down. So now I want to talk about something that's a really hot topic. And I want to give a little context for this one because... I, this is a very frustrating problem actually to me in my consulting practices. I talk to a lot of people that are, you know, they're like the retail ISO, even some that are, be, that are the wholesale ISO. And what they see when they kind of look at the world of processing today is they see these two realities. They see their current reality, which is they're with, you know, not to, you know, uh, give a bad reputation to anybody, but I mean, I, this is everybody. It's this FIS, this is Pfizer, this is TSIS, this is like global, this is everybody that you know, the ISOs I work with, they don't have instant onboarding. They don't have anything close to that. They're, you know, their online application is a, like a DocuSign agreement. You know, maybe they have an online agreement that maps to a DocuSign, right? But like, I'm talking about, this is like 85% of the agents out there that are selling. This is their experience. Same thing with the ISO. So then they look and they see Square. They see Stripe. They see um, Toast. <clears throat> and they go, oh, okay. So <clears throat> the solution is payfac. I need to become a payfac in order to be able to do what the payfacs are doing. Then they start diving into that, and it's like, oh, wow, that's actually really, really complex. Maybe I need to do payfac as a service. Well, wait a minute. Payfac as a service really was kind of designed more for the ISV, 
really than it was the ISO. I mean, they don't really generally the payback as a service doesn't have a lot of like residual reporting and that sort of thing. So I think these ISOs are all confused. Frankly, sometimes I'm confused as to what to even advise because it's like, I totally agree that this is an unacceptable reality. We can't continue to compete with Toast and Square by providing a 17 page DocuSign agreement and waiting three days for underwriting. Like that's stupid. So my question is, What do they do now and how does this play out? Like, do you know, should they be looking at becoming a payback? We've we touched on it a little bit, the complexities of it. Or is it like, hey, these legacy companies are finally going to come? You mentioned earlier, well, you can do that with the wholesale ISO. How? You know, like, what, what, are, what are we missing? Why are we not doing that now? So just talk to us about this kind of issue and kind of how the payback model should or should not play into the solution to this. Yeah, I mean, it's that is probably the best part of the payback model is is the, you you can just um shoot somebody over a url and they'll fill out you know like i said you know somewhere between 15 and 22 points of information check a box saying that they agree to the terms and conditions which is you know the 47 page document that no one will print out right, um, <laughs> right? and and then they're approved uh, and you mentioned Square and Stripe, and they are the granddaddies of the the payfac world, right? They're right. they're really the ones that started it. So okay, they've got a ten year whatever head start on everybody. So they right. need to people need to re- remember that too. They've had a long time to get this down. Um, again, they need to be solving for something other than inconvenience. It, it's it's generally a vertical, or there's some kind of software, or there's something like that. Now, if some of these payfacts as a services have APIs that support every kind of terminal known demand, terrific. Um, <laughs> then then maybe that's an option. But I'd say for for ISOs that are servicing more of a niche market you know, it's, it, they could probably work out where that makes sense at that point, right? It, it makes sense to become a payback, you mean? Yeah, like okay. if they can figure it, like, you know, I had a guy that uh, sold almost exclusively to car washes, yes. you know, okay. and petroleum stations, right? So that's a specific software, you know, and if you can get that integrated, and they did it through like the the POS and and it was a uh, unattended car wash piece of it, you know, where you could right. pay at the pump and, and do yep. all that. So that that made sense for them sure. because that is specifically what they're doing. They're not they don't have a guy that's going to go out and try to replace a terminal. Right. Right. You know, that's where it starts to really not make sense at all. So let me you see know, if it's I can be technology driven. Yeah. So let me see if I can restate this and then feel free to, to tell me that I'm totally wrong in what I'm about to say, but let me see if I can restate this and tell me if I'm on the right track. So I think what I hear you saying is becoming a payfac, which basically means you're becoming this kind of master mid and then all the merchants you bring on are like a sub mid underneath of you where we have um, potentially concerns or, you know, would be, you know, if I'm a, if I'm an ISO and I have a bunch of 1099 reps running around just selling every type of merchant imaginable, then I'm still going to run into some pretty significant credit underwriting issues with the bank here because they're going to say, well, what is this payback? What do you, who do you sell? Like, I don't know. Is, is that part of it or no? Well, when you, when you register as a payback, it's, it's a pretty thorough vetting that yes. you go through with, and it's really with the processor that they're doing on behalf of the bank. But at the end of the day, the processor 
gathers up all this information and submits it to the bank. Right. I mean, you have to prove, um, you know, they, they're going to ask what kind of merchants are you going after? What are right. your MCC codes that you have today? What are you going to convert over? Um, how are you boarding them? Uh, you know, what does your staff look like? Like, uh, right. who, who's doing your underwriting? Who's, right. you know, they want to see resumes. They want to see this. Right. They want to, you know, it's, it's and, a big and, and deal. Is, um, is, is all of that easier when you have a targeted, you know, while well, we're going after car washes versus saying right. we have agents and we sell everybody? Like, is there? Is yeah, there it there? is. Yeah, I would say it is. Um, they probably feel That's a little more secure think. and a little uh, more like you know what you're doing. Right. Right. Um, and I mean, at the very least, if somebody looking to become a payfax should have it their own gateway. Um, but that's that's kind of that's not mm. very focused. Right. So a lot of them, maybe if you have some plugs that you've developed for um, either ERP systems or shopping carts or, you know, things of that nature, um, you know, you've got to have a game plan to go to these yeah. you know, to go and get registered and, and sign these deals. You're signing deals that have minimum commitments. I mean, these are big yeah. deals. There's a lot of money. And you're going to get a certain ramp up period a few months, um, but it could take a couple of years to build out that tech stack. So, you know, you need to have a, a really solid plan a year in advance of, of going to them, you know, to- Yeah, it's not something, what you're saying is it's not something you take lightly. No. <laughs> No. And I mean, you know, I wake up and say, I'm going to be a payback. <laughs> you know, I mean, you literally have to figure out how to reconcile and fund everybody. You're going to have to create a merchant facing tool. You're going to need an internal dashboard. You're going to have to figure out how to route all these transactions so mm -hmm. that you can keep track of them. Cause you're just going to get a bunch of raw data files at the end of the day from your processor. And you've got to parse that out and make sense of it. Right. And then even something as simple as statementing. Processors don't provide merchant statements for payfax. Right. You get to create that as right. a payfax. Yeah, so it's kind of like you, you, you have all this flexibility of like, oh, you, guess what? The statement can look however you want, but you have to create it. <laughs> so, you know. And a lot of payfax do not do monthly statements. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. Because if it's a point of sale system, they have their reporting dashboard that you can yeah. look at and that's all you get. Right. So mm -hmm. um, this is just so interesting to me. So I actually want to change this question a little bit because it, it here's what I, what I hear you saying is definitely that for the, the kind of, again, the retail ISO, they're doing 50 to 200 deals a month. They want to get to the next level. It definitely sounds like what you're saying is your advice generally is become a wholesale ISO, not become a payback. Am I accurate there? Yeah. Unless they have a crack staff of developers then right. uh, and the deep yeah. pockets. Right. So if they, don't have, pockets, if they don't have a lot of agents. capital and they're not, they're not a technology company and they don't have deep you know, pockets or a lot of capital payback is maybe something that, you know, would not be as, as uh, you know, a good of an option. So my next question to you actually is what is your advice to that company that is trying to solve, like you mentioned the word convenience, but I mean, really a lot of the ISOs I talk to, I mean, it's not just convenience. It's literally closing percentage, right? It's like, my agents aren't able to get deals done because the the friction is so bad that they're not able to sign people up. I want them to have an iPad. I want them to fill out three screens and I want them to get a deal done and have it up and running within a reasonable amount of time. Do you have any advice on how do they negotiate that? Or maybe it's not even available yet and the industry is moving that direction or like, what's your advice to them to say, okay, PayFag maybe isn't a great solution for you, but you still have this unnecessary friction 
that exists, what should they do about that? Well, <laughs> um, I think they really, I think really the key to, to those guys, like the traditional ISO model, it's, it's always going to be necessary. Um, but unless they somehow differentiate themselves, they're going to be competing with the same pool of people and drilling down to selling on price and the fact that they need to close the deal in 37 seconds. Right. Okay. Um, and how to get around that. I, I mean, I would negotiate that, right. As part of your, your deal with, you know, when you're negotiating with your processor, I think processors are, are figuring out that they, they have to be yeah. quicker um, and more nimble, especially in, in the wholesale game. But a lot of them wanted to get out of the wholesale market completely for a while, but now they're, they're kind of edging back in, right. but really Fine. I, my best advice to, especially, you know, a smaller to mid-sized retail ISO is find your niche, right? Yeah. And just yeah. go to town on that. It's amazing that there, there are so many opportunities out there. Yep. Um, There's plenty of business for everybody. I mean, I don't mean to sound complacent or, or anything like that with, but there really is. And if you can find a niche and do it well, yeah. That's that's really kind of the key. And then you can build around that. You could even develop your own software around yeah, that. Yeah. Right. You know, and yeah. then once you do that, wow, all of a sudden I can be an ISP as well. Right. And then you get all kinds of flexibility. And then, you know, then maybe it makes sense. Yeah. To you know, be to become a, a payback, right? It, it's so interesting to me, Chris, and I feel like I spent half my day talking ISOs into becoming ISBs and the other half of my day convincing ISBs to become ISOs. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, yeah. And it's so interesting because I think that, I think that what you're saying plays perfectly into what Patty and I have been really been talking about for two years, right. which is the future of the industry is that you're, you know, are there still going to be those ISOs out there that just go out and they sell everybody? Of course. And mm -hmm. they're probably for a long time still going to be constrained to these friction points that exist because there's so much variation. I wrote about it in a recent Emergent Sales Insight. It's like, we want to speed up the underwriting process, but we want to be able to sell any merchant, any solution at any time. Well, <laughs> the underwriting department's going to have a problem with that. You, you, how do you streamline that? There's an unlimited amount of variation and you want to streamline it. You, you can't do that. So... Uh -huh. It's like what you're saying is the key to kind of streamlining that is you got to streamline it. So you find a niche, you find a particular, maybe it's a processor agnostic software that you partner with and help them to monetize payments, or you buy it and bring it in house, or you hire your own developers and build something simple. But whatever it is, it's like you, you go after a particular niche, find the software angle. Then at that point, I think what you're saying is now maybe this payback looks good. I mean, do you see, I mean, I, I think I know the answer to this, but I, I, you know, I would think three years from now, the concept of I want to become a payfac, you're still going to have a lot to consider, but I would certainly hope that most of the processors at this point, or maybe even outside technology providers, this is a, maybe not a solved problem, but a much easier problem to say, we have the infrastructure, like you want to become a payfac, you know, we help you design your statement and everything else, like we have all the pieces in place that you can customize. I, what are your thoughts on them? Is it, is it going to develop to a point where most oh. of the processors have a more of a streamlined approach to this, right? Oh, absolutely. Because it's going to afford the software or the, the processor more control, right. which is always what they, what they want with a pay pack because it's right. less yep. risk. 
for yep. them at that point, right? Yep. And if they provide a lot of these tools, then they can charge more money. Yep. Sure. yep. So it makes sense for a processor to build all this out. But yep. the, the issue is uh, with one particular processor that we were working with, they did not have a very mature payback program, even though it had technically been around for a long time, but it was right. just kind of there, yep. um, not being developed, right? It was right. really for those true payfacts that would come in and that had their own tech stack and weren't afraid to do the heavy lift. Yep. Right. That's that's what that was for. And that's why we weren't horribly successful because there just aren't that many companies that have the kind of experience that is required to do that. Right. Yeah. Not just the money and the time, but you you need a lot of good people to do that as well. Yes. Um, yeah. I think they've obviously, and now that says payback such a buzzword, um, it, it's a money-making opportunity for them. So right, they can charge more money, they can exercise more control, but then the downside for the person wanting to become a payback is they're gonna lose <laughs> some of the reasons why they wanted to become a payback in the first place, right? Exactly, it's gonna yeah. look maybe a little bit more like an ISO, but then it's gonna be, it's not gonna be a true payback. It's gonna be the more the payback as a service. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. Like I ran into this problem with a really large company. Everybody would know that I was working with and doing some consulting and, you know, they became a payback, but in the, you know, they didn't want to do very much. So. <laughs> they leaned really heavily on, on the processor and we got all, all done. They finished the project and I was like, okay, cool. Let's talk about how to leverage this. And it was like underwriting was having about the same turnaround time and they were requesting all this additional information. And I'm like, what happened? And it's like, well, it turns out they negotiated the, the, the they had the processor do so much that the processor was like, okay, fine. We're, we're glad to have our underwriting handle all of these issues that come up. But then you're under our underwriting guidelines. Then it's like, well, wait a minute. Why did you become a payback? Like, right. right. And so I think that's a really good point that you certainly don't want to, you know, go down that path if you don't really want to go down that path and actually take on everything, you know? Well, and again, it all goes to my very first question. I ask everybody that comes to me about payback is what are you solving for? Right. Why do you want to become a payback? Don't lose sight of that. Right. Yeah. Just, that's really cool. Yeah. Just in order to don't, you know, get to this end, yep. you know, why did you want to get there so badly in the first place, you know, yeah. and then you, you've like, oh, okay, well, that's not that much of a priority, blah, blah, blah. Oh, yeah, well, it, it was right. absolutely the priority. Right. <laughs> and this is, and this, and I mean, this is one of these things where whether you're partnering with somebody that's providing a lot of the tech stack, or you're building it yourself, I mean, these are decisions that are extremely expensive to change, right? Right. Like you built it out and you're like, oh, wait a minute. We actually wanted to do it this way. Well, that was uh -huh. you know, my, my uh, a good example of this. Krista, my lead developer was out here uh, last week and uh, we have a, one of the companies I own is an ISV. And so we're doing a whole payback as a service thing right now. But he, he was funny. He wore this T-shirt when he came out and it, it said months. Uh, it said uh, months of programming can save hours of planning, <laughs> you know. And I was like, I love that. It's so true because it's like, yeah, you know, you could just sit down and for hours and actually map out what you want on a whiteboard or just let your developer build it for a month and then have them rebuild it for another month and then rebuild it for another month. It's like, no, just so I like that. I think your approach is really good. You just got to think through it. So, uh, wow, I think we keep talking about this for a long time, but we better cut it short here. So, Kristen, this has been just unbelievably insightful. I'm so glad we had this conversation. Um, yeah. Tell our, audience, tell our audience how they could connect with you. Uh, you know, where would you send them to kind of learn more about you and connect with you? 
Um, I would honestly just go through LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. You know, it's pretty, pretty straightforward, you know, yeah. for me. So um, yeah, just uh, reach out there. If you have any questions, I'm happy to help where I can, you know, and, and if for anybody that has any great ideas about uh, for the Midwest show uh, for topics and things of that nature, because we're always really looking for kind of the next big things in tech in tech and you know where where the industry is going you know feel free to shoot me ideas there as well awesome love it Kristen. Awesome. uh such a pleasure to have you on the podcast thanks for joining us today thanks so much i really appreciate it So, Patty, our podcast is brought uh, to the audience today by NMI.com. NMI is just the leading gateway provider. And we talk about the omni-channel and the, right. the virtual terminal and all those things, which, of course, it is. But it is also just the leading processor agnostic gateway. And yeah. there's a lot of scenarios where you need a gateway. We just had this conversation with Kristen. Right. There's a lot of times when you're becoming that wholesale ISO, you need a technology provider where you can have your you can have your own gateway that you're offering. And you don't want to... Maybe you're not in a good position to build a gateway from scratch. Partner with NMI, and they're going to be right. able to give you all the things that you need for the gateway without taking a piece of the processing. Right. Um, and so as a processor agnostic provider of technology, if you're looking for a gateway that's going to have a lot of other omni-channel capabilities to it, but you just need that core gateway technology to accept transactions, you'll be able to run it through you know, various terminals, um, you know, online gateways, whatever it is, right, commerce, right, right. shopping carts, all of that. Um, look no further than NMI.com. Head over to NMI.com. Let them know you heard about them on the Merchant Sales Podcast. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by ccsalespro.com, the leader in merchant sales training and technology. If you are an individual merchant sales professional, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash training to get a free 14-day trial of our all-access pass. If you manage a team of merchant sales professionals, visit ccsalespro.com forward slash ISO to learn how we can help you grow. And now, here is Questions from the Field with James Shepard. So, Patty, of course, our interview today, which was fantastic with Kristen. Um, very good, yes. Diving very deep uh, into the weeds in the industry and, and just so practical. However, I thought maybe I would uh, diverge a good bit from that and talk about sales because this is the Merchant Sales Podcast. I want to talk right. about sales agents a little bit. And I just want to talk about the profession of sales, the profession of merchant sales, and really becoming an expert in that. Um I was so interested recently in our Facebook group, we did a series of four panel discussions where mm -hmm. we called it Sales September. And Right, I remember that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so we had, it was available only through our Facebook group members. And mm -hmm. I, I found, I think we ended up having six, uh, you know, during different various panels, some attended, some didn't. But we had six panelists that were all people who had sold a lot of merchant accounts, they were right. into, you know, they were directly selling. So maybe they did have some sub agents, but like they were directly involved currently in selling payment processing services. And we were having these conversations and it was so amazing to me because I didn't like really plan out as much as I should have, like who the panelists were going to be to make sure we had a good mix, but it worked out that we had just like this perfect mix. Of course. Um, it's just amazing how that worked out. And well, there's such a great group of people on the Facebook group. I mean, it really it's such is. a diverse group. There's so many super experienced people yes. as well as novices. And everybody's so 
uh, forthcoming and, and helping to share. And yeah, it yeah, really is amazing. Yeah. If, if you're not in the group, you should check it out. It's um, it just the CC Sales Pro community. Go to Facebook, just search for CC Sales Pro community. But um, anyway, so we had these different topics and we talked about you know the the opening pitch. We talked about overcoming objections. We talked about the presentation stage. We talked about closing the sale. Which, by the way, these are going to be uh, by the time this comes out, I'm pretty sure this will be a YouTube playlist. So if you go to YouTube.com/slash/CC Sales Pro, you can watch them. But the thing about it that that really struck me as so interesting is a couple of trends I noticed with all of our panelists. Number one trend that I noticed was um, experience and expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, these people who are selling payment processing services, they understand payment processing. Now, they could not have answered all the questions that Kristen just answered for obvious reasons. They don't need to, but they understand how chargebacks work. They understand you know, inter- what interchange is. They understand BMD card brand fees and the difference mm-hmm. between you know, the, the bank that issues the card and, and the card brands. Like, They get it. And even more than that, though, they have very practical expertise into the technology solutions that they're offering. Right. If they're selling right. Clover, they understand Clover. You know, mm-hmm. if they're selling a terminal, they know how to go in and change the settings on that terminal. Um, and there's a level of expertise. Some of it is intentional. A lot of it, of course, comes from experience of being out there and, and doing it. But um, I think it's very important for those that are listening that are, are struggling a bit to say, am I an expert at what I'm talking about to people? Am I an expert at what I'm providing? And so that was just such a, a big trend that I noticed was that that level of expertise and, you know, it spanned the gamut. You know, we've had Jaron Rice on many times here. He was one of the panelists and his level of expertise is almost like scholarly. You know what I mean? In terms of the issues that, but again, not with everything, but but with the issues that the home service providers are running into with payments. Right, right. Because that's, that's his area. niche. And that's right. really the second trend I noticed was specialization. Niche. Yep. Now I would say niche, but actually there wasn't, I wouldn't say... Definitely some of them, you know, they had the niche uh, that they went after for sure. Some, most of them had two or three, uh-huh. but that wasn't across the board. Some just went out and sold everybody, but the, the specialization. And so, so this is the thing. You, what is it that sets you apart? I think the key to being successful selling payment processing today is, is focus. Mm-hmm. And it's being willing to say no to so many things that you could offer, so many things that you could sell that you say, no, I don't do that. Um, you know, uh, I can't tell you how many times, I, well, just yesterday, just yesterday, uh, somebody I really respect had made an introduction for me to a company that was willing to do a deal with me that probably would have been extremely profitable. And uh-huh. it was about helping them access the kind of sales agent community to sell something that wasn't really payments related, you know, directly. Okay. And we talked for about 15 minutes and I really respected both the people I was talking to. And I just said, let's, let's stop the conversation here for just a minute because I don't want to waste anybody's time. This is outside of my lane. I stay in my lane. There's no amount of money you can pay me to get out of my lane. My lane is payment processing. I help companies that are directly involved in payments through the consulting practice. And I provide free resources to agents that sell payment processing. That is the one and only thing that I do. And so this is outside the scope of that. So I'm going to, I'm going to say no. And it's, it's conversations like that where I give up that money. Mm-hmm. That is why I'm able to make so much money from the companies who are involved in payments because they know James is the guy that does that. Right. 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 And so right. as a result, I'm able to focus my brand, focus my, my reputation, my personal brand, my company brand. 
mm-hmm. it's like, this is what I do. You know, we had this big debate uh, and it's still kind of raging internally about the future of ISOAMP, which is our full service statement analysis provider, because we have the training software and it's like, well, where does that live? You know? And, and so, but a big part of that conversation is, well, wait a minute. I don't know if I want to put that in with, with ISOAMP because that would be broadening it to say ISOAMP is there to help ISOs grow or something like that versus saying it's the leader in full service statement analysis. Right. Well, right. Everybody knows. You start diverging. I mean, it's happened to so many companies. I mean, the brand becomes less powerful because people don't know what it means. They don't know what it stands for. And so in that same way, if you're an agent or even a small ISO, um, well, big ISO for that matter, but in this conversation for the the agent, the small ISO, what do you stand for? What do you, what is your brand? And and again, your brand might be your personal name, right? Um, But what does your brand stand for? And what does it not stand for more importantly, right? Like, what are you, what do you, what are you not going to do? And you got to resist the urge to scatter into a million different directions right. and, and, and not be good at anything. Exactly. And not only that, you say, well, no, I can, I can be good at five different things. You might be able to be good at five different things, but you can't get people to believe that you're good at five different things or know that you're good at five different things. And are you at the top of your game in each of those five things? Exactly. So that, that I think is really important. And so what I, my advice to you based on the panel, first of all, go watch the panel discussions on YouTube. They're great. But my advice to you as an agent or ISO is think through carefully and decide, okay, what do I specialize in? And again, maybe your specialty is helping small physical location businesses that need simple solutions. It doesn't mm-hmm. have to be vertical specific necessarily, but then mm-hmm. make sure you identify those solutions you're going to offer, those three or four things that, you know, this gateway, right. the, the, these two terminals and this point of sale, and then understand those deeply and be an expert at that. And then you come to market with that. But that what that means is then when you get a massive merchant that reaches out to you, right? Well, you, you, you know, you say, you, you know what? I don't have the expertise. Sorry. Yeah. I don't have the expertise. Let me get you somebody who can do that. What's your and, area? And you of know, by doing that, you're going to give yourself more business because they're going to respect you. Absolutely. 100%. So there you go. A little bit of advice today for the sales agent. Great advice. Thanks, James. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For nearly 40 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at www.greensheet.com. Well, James, uh, interesting news I, I read this week in the New York Times. Uh, Zelle, the banking industry's answer to Venmo, yep. is under attack from fraudsters as well as from Congress. So, wow. you know, let's, let's spread the wealth around, right? Right. <laughs> so to speak, we talk a lot about yeah. Congress and Durban, and yes. now we have another thing because the P2P payment app has been making headlines um, because consumers are getting defrauded and the banks are refusing to cover the expenses mm. to cover, you know, to yep. reimburse them. Yep. Um, here's how the New York Times reported it. Police reports and dispatches from industry analysts make it clear that the network has become a preferred tool for grifters mm. like romance scammers, cryptocurrency con artists, and those who prowl social media sites advertising concert tickets, purebred and purebred bred puppies, only to disappear with the buyer's cash after they pay. 
Well, that got the attention of uh, the Senate Banking Committee. And they posed uh, questions to, to the big banks that own Zelle. I mean, just as a backdrop, uh, for those who don't know, as I said, Zelle is the banking industry's answer to Venmo. It is a P2P network that's owned by, I believe it's like 16 of the largest banks right. in the country right? and is accessed by most banks and, and um, credit unions. Right. So some of the big bankers, you know, like uh, Chase and, and, and J.P. Morgan Chase and Wells Fargo were before the Senate Banking Committee and um, they were asked to provide data on how much fraud is going on. Um, yep. And uh, so um, apparently um, the data shows that Zell is rampant with fraud and theft and that few customers are getting uh, refunded. Uh, that didn't set well with Senator Elizabeth Warren, who referred to it as potentially violating federal law. She was particularly irked at J.P. Morgan and, Child and Wells because they didn't provide the requested data. <laughs> you know, City yeah. and Truist and a few of the others did, right. but J.P. Morgan and Chase did. But here's some of the reports that they got from, I believe it was the four big banks that did report data. Um, four banks are on track to receive and scam and fraud claims exceeding $255 million this year. Ooh, okay. up, from, up from 90 million in 2020. Wow. That's a huge jump. PNC Bank, for example, reported the number of fraud and scam claims from Zelle customers rose nearly 50% from uh, 8,800 and change in 2020 to 12,300 and change in 2020, um, 20, uh, so far this year, excuse me. Um, so that's in two years, it, it rose 50%. U.S. Bank saw, has, uh, saw 14,800, almost 14,900 claims in 2020. That's on, that bank's on track to see 45,000 fraud claims this year. Wow. Yeah, nice. So of the 190,000 cases of scams involving $213 million in payments last year and the first half of this year, fewer than 10% of the claims and 11% of the money was repaid to customers. Wow. Um, Visa and MasterCard are looking pretty good right now. <laughs> aren't they? Yeah, I know, right? Um Anyway, but uh, this is from, from the report. The data provided by the banks revealed that they reimbursed customers for only 47% of the dollar amount of cases in which customers reported unauthorized payments. These are not just the scams. These are the genuinely right. unauthorized. Right. right. Uh, so they're talking about maybe um, getting the, you know, the CFPB to crack the whip because it has regulatory authority over Zelle and other P2P payment platforms. Right. Um, they want, uh, Senator Warren and a couple of the other senators said they want um, the CFPB to issue guidance clarifying how Regulation E, which of course is the electronic funds oh, right. regulation, okay, okay? okay. Yep. for when you use your debit cards and so forth, Right. Um, how it applies to these transactions. Because you know how we talked about how the Durban Amendment came out before online debit was big. Yeah. Well, the 
Reg E came out in the 1980s. Right. Way before so, Zell or P2P or Venmo of any kind. Or, none of that stuff yeah, was so, around. And they've right. amended it a few times, but they really haven't addressed these P2P claims. Yep. And I think, especially as we're going into um, in 2023, you know, FedNow is going to be live. We already have RTP. These networks are using RTP right now to clear transactions. So, you know, with FedNow, everybody's going to be expecting instant payments. Right. And I think um, if the fraud's getting that bad right now, imagine how it's going to look um, in a real-time payment environment. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a good idea, frankly, that, uh, somebody does look at these. I mean, yeah. heck the credit card, you know, issuers are reimbursing customers. That's why we have chargeback processes, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we've, you and I have talked in the past about how in an, in a real time payment environment, chargebacks are going to be a thorny issue. Yeah. And, uh, I think we're seeing evidence of that with this. Yeah. Wow. Super interesting. I, I had no idea, actually. It's uh, like a opens up a whole can of worms. So I'll be very interested yeah. to see how that all plays out. Thanks for giving, bringing us in the loop on that one, buddy. Sure thing. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production of greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. And we hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.